morning. Uh, we have three very important roles in our society, and they all have something in common. I'll just talk for a moment about parents, teachers, and pastors. And what they should have in common, a good parent, a good teacher, and a good pastor all wants the same thing. They all want those entrusted to them to grow and to flourish. And hopefully, with wisdom, they are applying encouragement and challenge where needed. And it is often a thankless job in each one of these, and it is often a job that takes years and years. But if you're doing it right, you're doing it selflessly. You're doing it with the end in mind of the person that you care for, the person that you invest in whether it be child or adult, for them to grow. And as Christians, there's an added level to that. We don't just want them to grow into maturity and and worldly wisdom and street smarts and stuff like that, because that is helpful. But ultimately, we want them to grow into maturity in Christ. We want them to be able to stand boldly in the gospel. We want them to be found as good and faithful servants on the day that they meet their Lord face to face. There's something else that these three groups have in common. And I did not know what Deshaun was going to pray for this morning. And as all, the Holy Spirit often does, he aligns our, our thoughts. But these three groups are groups that were identified by a new law in China a year ago. And in this law, they make it illegal for parents, teachers, or pastors to speak about religion to anyone under 18. And so it is a good thing to pray for our brothers and sisters in China who live in this reality. That by parents, even reading the Bible with their children, praying with their their children, they become enemies of the state. So this morning, as we get into our text in Colossians, I want us to think about discipleship. I want us to think about the seeds of the gospel that we looked at last week. Bearing fruit and growing within a person. Because now we're transitioning to... Paul thanking God for what he did in Colossae because of what he's doing in the world through the gospel. But now would he pray specifically for the individual, that that fruit that has taken root would increase and it would, and it would flourish. And so Paul tells us what he desires for the church in Colossae, which is a parallel for what we should desire, and there's much for us to learn from this. When we think about discipleship, it's a rather simple concept. It's, it's growing in Christ. But it's so difficult. What does discipleship look like? How do I know if I'm being discipled? How can I disciple someone well? And really, discipleship starts with what we see here in Paul. Someone who cares enough to invest in someone else for the sake of Christ. Even from a distance, even from his jail cell. Paul is praying for them, petitioning the Lord for them, investing in them in his prayer life, even though he can't be face to face. He cares for them enough to grow into maturity. And so I want us to think uh, and self-examine as we walk through this, this text this morning. Are you that parent, that teacher? You may not have the role of pastor, but do you care enough about people to invest in them? Are we learners ourselves? Are we disciples ourselves? Are we seeking discipleship? Because at every stage of our lives, we should be seeking those to disciple and seeking to be discipled ourselves so that we are growing in the image of Christ. And as we grow in the image of Christ, those who the Lord puts in our lives are growing with us as well. 
And this is how the gospel fruit spreads and multiplies. But first, you must go to the source. Because another thing we can learn from Paul is he doesn't get right to their, their specific knowledge or their behavior. He goes right to the source. He prays and he petitions. The only one who can accomplish this, the only power that can do this within a person. And the two main things we're going to see here is that Paul prays for their minds, that they would have spiritual wisdom and understanding. But it can't just be knowledge for knowledge's sake. He also prays for their actions, their walk with the Lord. But it can't just be behavioral modification. These two things must be in agreement together. There must be a fullness of a mind that is transformed daily by renewing it according to God's word. A heart whose affections are stirred to love the Lord and desire Him with all your heart and strength. And that strength that is worked out in our lives to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, to be fully complete in Him. Our intellect, our affections, and our actions. And discipleship, we're going to see in this passage, is from the gospel. It must start in the gospel. It must be out of the gospel. And if you do, it will increase over time. And this is one of my most fervent prayers for you. As I pray throughout the week, it is that you are maturing in Christ, that you are growing in your knowledge of Him, in your love of Him, and that your life more and more is pleasing to Him because of what He has done in the gospel and the goal of discipleship. There's so much we can say about discipleship, but I'm going to stick to what Paul says in this, this passage. The goal of discipleship is that the Lord may be pleased, that as we grow, He is glorified, and as we grow, His glory is shown to the world. Because what Christ does in you, there is no earthly explanation for what happens within someone who is dead, someone who is selfish, someone who is greedy, someone who is hateful, who turns someone who is gentle and kind and loving and confident, not in themselves, but in the work of their Savior. So let's jump right into our text here in Colossians chapter 1. So I want to read into context, because there's a lot of parallels between this week and last. This week's passage is going to be up on the screen, I decided this morning. So you guys are going to have to turn there, uh, keep your Bibles open. But I'm going to start reading in verse 3, and I'm going to read through verse 14. I'm going to read Paul's entire prayer discussion here. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints... Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to you, known to us, your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
He has delivered us from the, dominion, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. What amazing words. First, Heavenly Father, what you have done for us. You are a holy God who sent your Son to transfer us into his kingdom so that we may be called a holy people. You have redeemed us and forgiven us, gave us hope and life that we may forgive others and give them hope and point them to the source of our faith, the object of our faith, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for maturity in this body, in your church. I pray that you make people uncomfortable in their complacency. I pray that your Spirit fill us with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we may walk worthy unto you, that you may be glorified in everything, everything we think, feel, say, and do, that we would walk as citizens of your kingdom, understanding whose we are, that you would receive the glory and honor and praise that you deserve. Lord, we love you and we praise you. I pray that your spirit would teach us, open our eyes, open our hearts, transform us according to your word, and continue to grow us in degree of glory to glory in the image of your Son. And as in his name we pray, amen. So this week, like I said, we're going to transition from last week the focus of thanksgiving, just thanking the Lord for what he has done in the body, to now a petition. So this is interesting, and we've we got to think about this before we get into our text, because he's thanking God, I've heard of your faith, I've heard of your hope, I've heard of your love, but I'm also asking God to fill you. It's not just those who are hurting who need petition, even the churches who seem like they have it together. Paul goes before the Lord on their behalf. He knows even in a faithful church, there are rumors of false doctrine slipping in. There's always the temptation to get comfortable or to seek after other things that try to add to or take away from Christ. And Paul prays for the mature as well as the immature. Yet in these two sections, the key words are, are, are going to be parallel. You know, we're going to see some of the th- same things. Paul said, we pray because we heard. He also speaks about understanding and truth. And the gospel is in both sections. We see bearing fruit and multiplying being the the, the center of each of these passages. And both of them are connected by thanks to the Father. From Paul and how he uh, instructs them to thank the Father. So this is one united thought. And so one section builds on the other. Um, And as we go, you're going to see in the outline... Uh, This is not clear to our verse structure. This passage is another, just like last week, it's another long sentence in the Greek. So our outline's going to overlap a little bit. That's why you see the A's and the B's if you're not familiar with those. Essentially, first half of the verse, second half of the verse. Uh, And so our outline's not going to follow the verse structure exactly. So just wanted you to see that. Um, And so I want to dive right in in verse 9. And so... We can't just pick up here without understanding what happened last week. And so, this is more emphatic in the Greek. For this reason. 
Or, and because of this, because of everything I just said, because I've heard of your faith, I've heard of your hope, I've heard of your love, let me tell you, I'm thanking God for you, but I'm also petitioning God for you. And this is my petition. There's a parallel here. He picks up with the prayer without ceasing. Hand in hand goes thanks to God for what he's doing. But continuing to petition God to bring his people into maturity. So he says, and so from the day we heard him and Timothy and those with him in Rome, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Asking. Who is he asking? He is going to the God who can accomplish this in his people. The next few verses, 9 through 12, he's asking for what only God can do. Because verses 12 through 14, because of what God has already done. Because of what God has already done in the content of the gospel, on that basis, he can ask for what only God can do in their lives now. Because we see and celebrate this fruit in you, we're now asking for it to mature. Because a good pastor rejoices in what God is doing. But he does not retreat from his desire to see people grow. And before we go any further, say the thing that probably saddens me the most and breaks my heart is when I see complacent Christians, when I see people who go through the motions for years, who do the same things, who do not desire to grow in the knowledge of God, who do not have lives that are marked by joy, lives that are a witness to the world, people who love to be around other believers. It's sad. And my prayer for you and my want for us, my desire for us, is that we rejoice in what God is doing. But we do not retreat from the call to grow into maturity in Christ. And this is where Paul is, and this is how he starts this colossal letter of Colossians. Maybe that should have been our title. Um, I am asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Be filled. This term means to be full, means to be complete, to be lacking nothing. This is also an interesting part of Greek speech. It's a divine passive. So to be filled is not something you can do. It is something that God does in you. He is petitioning God to fill you. Not for you to fill yourself up, for you to work yourself up, but for God to continue the work which he began in you. He petitions the God of fullness to bring his people into fullness. And this, as we saw in our overview of Colossians, this is one of his main themes. He wants them to be full in Christ, the full knowledge of Christ, to know that all of their fullness is in Christ. Because what happens with a lot of these Greek philosophical heresies that creep into Colossae, and creep into churches in our day is that they will tell you that what you have in Christ is not enough. That's all good. That's all well and good, but you need more to be full. You need more works to be full. You need higher knowledge to be full. You need a greater spiritual, uh, uh, emotional experience to be full. Ultimately saying that Christ is not enough. Paul knows that their fullness is in what Christ has done for them in the gospel. What is that fullness? Well, what is most important to be filled with? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The knowledge of his will. I think this is good to talk about for a moment. 
Because this is one of the favorite phrases in Christianese. What is God's will? What is God's will for your life? And most Christians, whether they realize it or not, they treat it like a horoscope. Well, I want to try to open the paper and see what God wants me to do today. How has God's will changed for my life today? Does God want me to go left? Does God want me to go right? As if it's some choose-your-own-adventure book. Anyone under 30 may not know that reference. But that's what a lot of people do. Okay, I get to this point. I think this is what God wants me to do. Let me go over here. Let me go over here as if God's will is trying to find the right set of circumstances for God that God wants you to be in. But that is not what he means by the will of God. That is not the will of God. That we find the right circumstances, then maybe God will be pleased if I put myself in the right place. The will of God is that you are obedient wherever he has you. In every circumstance that you are in his word. You want to know what God's will is? It is that you are in his word and that you stand on it. And so to be full of God's word so that everywhere you go and everything you do, whatever adventure you choose, you are in God's will because you know what he requires for your life. Because you know his word. You are so full of it. You are so saturated with it that it cannot help to influence every decision you make. That is what it means to be in God's will. God's will is being in God's word. And so being in his word is a spiritual discipline. And that's why Paul says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. All here. Not lacking anything complete in Christ. All spiritual wisdom. Not human wisdom, but spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom, biblical wisdom is knowledge applied. If you want a concise definition of biblical wisdom, it is knowledge applied. It's not just a bunch of theoretical ideas in your head, but it's understanding it and applying it to your life, that you have spiritual wisdom, that the Holy Spirit so works within you that you take the will of God, God's revealed will in his word, and you apply it to your life in all spiritual wisdom. And it is a good prayer to pray for biblical wisdom. One of my favorite prayers in Second Chronicles 1. I encourage you to turn there, uh, but it will be on the screen as well. 2 Chronicles 1, as a young Christian, reading through the Bible with open eyes for the first time. I'd read the Bible many times with a veil. But as reading the Bible with open eyes for the first time, this struck me, this prayer of Solomon. And this was my prayer for my first two years as a Christian. Consistently, Lord, grant me wisdom. And I love the way that Solomon approaches this, and it's a great lesson for us. And when we go before God to seek the higher thing, let's see how Solomon comes before the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 1, starting in verse 7. In that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come before your people. Notice what he does here. Give me wisdom and knowledge so that I may go out. Give me wisdom and knowledge so that I may apply it to the job that you have given me to do. To go out and come before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? God answers Solomon, because this was in your heart, this is where our prayers must begin. And you have not asked for possessions, 
Not ask for wealth, not ask for honor, or the life of those who hate you. And have not even asked for long life, but has asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Look at the priority of Solomon here. Does not ask for himself. First, ask for wisdom and knowledge, because his heart desires to be faithful in what God has entrusted him in. That is what it means to be, to be in the full knowledge of the will of God. And this is how good our God is. Yes, he gave him wisdom and knowledge. And this is what he does for us as well. I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings uh, have had who were before you, and none shall have, excuse me, and none after you shall have the like. That is a weird phrasing. Um, and so when I say that's what God does for us, I'm not going to say he's giving you riches and possessions and all that. But when we seek the greater thing, when our hearts are on things that honor the Lord, he will give us that and so much more. Instead of going to him with our Christmas list of stuff we want for ourselves, we seek the wisdom and knowledge to further his people. And God will bestow on us lavishly the good gifts that only he can give. Things we didn't even think we wanted or think we could ever have because we put him first with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is what Paul is praying for. Praying for all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is a great word. It means to come together. It means to bring together, to come into agreement, to perceive. To understand the will of God means to bring the will of God and spiritual wisdom together, to put all these things together so that you may apply them. And this is a common formula in Scripture, wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding, we see it Old and New Testament. But one of the greatest examples is in the prophecy in Isaiah 11. And in Isaiah 11, speaking of the one who is to come, look at the language that is applied to him. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. What is, how can we know if the Spirit of the Lord is resting on someone? They have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is the Christ, the Anointed One, the One who would come. The Deity of God dwelled in full bodily form. Marked by spiritual wisdom and understanding. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ, what does that mean? That we have all spiritual wisdom and understanding in the same spirit. That is why Jesus prayed for his spirit to come. So that we might look like him. That we might walk like him. That we might have the wisdom and understanding that he has in the same spirit. This is his work of new creation. The evidence of Christ's work in us that we resemble him. That the same thing that is promised for the anointed of God is petitioned for us. And it is ours in Christ Jesus. But it is so easy to take that for granted. It is so easy to get stuck in the mundane rhythms of our lives. So this is kind of a uh, running theme of persecution. Um, one of the things I shared this morning, I read a great article in Gospel Coalition by a young lady, Sarah Barrett, 19 years old. Such maturity, talking about the persecuted 
church and what she's learned from that and her own complacency. I want to share one quote with that because it leans or it sets us up really well of why this talk about spiritual wisdom and understanding and how does us looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world help us understand that. Just one brief section from this article. She says, Over the past few years, I've intentionally become more aware of the persecuted church. Reading about how Christ followers in Somalia are killed by their families for converting to Islam, and how believers in Iran risk everything to own a Bible, it opened my eyes to my own often complacent faith. I saw my apathy, my reluctance to spend time with Christ, to read his word, to be with his people, in stark contrast to persecuted believers' commitment to those same things. I became aware of how little I've actually given for Jesus in comparison to how much others have laid down. I'm thankful for religious freedom, but freedom can also sow seeds of complacency. I don't long for persecution, but I do long to be shaken out of my apathy. I have heard of Christians in China praying for persecution to come to America, since they know persecution deepens your walk with God. And so as we talk about the purpose of wisdom and knowledge and understanding, we must understand that it has to be seen in connection with our walk with God. And this is exactly where Paul goes. So as to, the whole point of his, of his petition here, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why does Paul ask? What is the purpose of wisdom and understanding? That you may walk, that you may do, not just know but do. And so if this, we apply this to any, of our, any other area of our life, we would think it'd be foolishness. Okay? Why do we study nutrition? Why do we, why do we study proper uh, in, ingredients and cooking lists and things like that? Because we want to be healthy. But how ridiculous would it be if we read cookbooks all day long and continue to go through the McDonald's drive-thru? Why do we study exercise in, in, in proper form and in, in proper building up our bodies because we want to be healthy and want to be strong? How ridiculous would it be if we read fitness magazines and watch YouTube videos all day while we sit on the couch eating ice cream? Why do we do the same thing with the Word of God? We may think about these things as theoretical things that are out there, and I'll get to it eventually. All this sounds good for someone else, but I'd rather watch someone else do it. These two things must go together. They cannot be separated. And the word of God is useless without transformation. Useless. Because if we are not hearers and doers, it is falling on deaf ears. And so it is with knowledge. Because Christianity cannot just be a set of theological propositions. This is something that is a danger for those in the Reformed world. It is so easy to make Christianity about a bunch of theological propositions which may be good things to be right about, but if that that consumes you and and it never transforms your life and it is never applied to your walk with the Lord, what good is it? One of my professors and talented theologians wrote a lot of things, but what's always stuck out with me, John Frame's quote, theology is application. If what you know about God cannot be applied to your life, what good is it? You could memorize the entire Bible and go to hell. One of my great quote from Charles Spurgeon, he said, You may know the doctrines of grace, but do you know the grace that is in the doctrines? If 
you, those of you who don't know what the doctrines of grace are, see me afterward. Because the knowledge of God is not an end in, in itself. It must lead to a walk that is worthy of Him and that is pleasing to Him. And what is a Christian walk? It is a life that is worthy of the Lord, that is fully pleasing to Him. They walked in a pluralistic society with all these different competing religions, as do we. And so we must think about the things that we are learning, the Bible that we, we read, the theology that we study. How does what I'm learning affect my manner of living? How is what I'm reading and what I'm studying and what I'm growing in, how does it affect the way that I walk from day to day? And do I have spiritual wisdom of what I'm learning to apply it to everyday situations? And does my understanding of God's word inform how I view the world? Because that is what it is, it is meant to do. Paul's prayers, that in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, they be filled so that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And a life fully pleasing. How do we know what a life fully pleasing is? There are four participles that come up in verses 10 through 12. If you don't know what a participle is, uh, it's an ongoing action. Think about the word walk. If I walked somewhere, that's past tense. If I will walk, that's future. But if I'm walking, it is an ongoing action. These are four participles we're going to see over the next few verses that help us understand this. How do we know a life pleasing to God? These are bearing fruit, increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened by His power, and giving thanks. We looked at the first two last week, bearing fruit and increasing. They're the center, the theological center of both of these passages. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Last week we said bearing fruit is multiplying. It is good work and deeds. The, 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 the fruit of the gospel continues to well up in the people of God. And we said that, that increasing is maturing. So we've got multiplying and maturing. We've got doctrine and deeds. That the people of God are growing in knowledge of Him. And it is a good thing to study Him and to be in His Word. And to know the things of God. But it's an equally good thing that you bear fruit in good deeds. And those two things go hand in hand. And we saw how this related to the creation mandate. Be fruitful and multiply from the very beginning. That was marred and broken by sin. But now with Christ... Now with him inside us, the same spirit that came on him in his baptism comes to us and helps us in wisdom and understanding so that we may bear fruit in good works. That the creation mandate that was lost at the fall is now restored in us, that we can be fruitful and multiply. That is what Paul desires. That is the point of discipleship. That is the point of this book. He's celebrating the gospel work in all the world, but also recognizing it needs to work within each person be fruitful and to increase and to increase in the knowledge of God that grace and truth that Epaphras brought to them the same gospel that they heard and were converted by that they would continue in it the knowledge of God we spent a lot of time on knowing God and his will so I won't belabor that but this is a consistent pattern within Paul's prayers Paul's prayers at the beginning of his most heartfelt letters are all to the same degree look at Ephesians 1 Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. This is not a one-shot thing for Paul. He asks several times. Ephesians 1, 15 through 17. For this reason, 
Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He starts with thanks, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. He says the same thing in Philippians. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Knowledge leading to a transformed life. He says the same thing in Philemon. The last of Paul's letters in order in our Bibles right before Hebrews. How he rejoices in his brother Philemon. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Verse 4. Because I hear of your love and your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is a constant message from Paul as this pastor who desires to see people grow. Last week we talked about Paul as a gospel farmer who is cultivating this soil. The seed has taken root and has begun to grow. But Paul is not happy with just a shoot, just a couple buds. He wants to see a flourishing tree with beautiful fruit so that God may be glorified in them. That the fruit in their life and the increasing that is in them may be evident for all to see. This is what God, or excuse me, this is what Paul is desiring to see and what God desires to see as well. So how do we bear fruit and multiply. Do we do it in our own power? Paul knows where he needs to go. Just like our energy in this life comes from outside of us. We need food and nutrients to grow. We need energy from the sun so that our plants can grow and that, that we can have energy. But spiritually speaking, our energy to grow must come outside of ourselves as well. We need spiritual food and we need energy from the S-O-N so that we continue Look at what he says here. That you would increase in, in every good work and increase, excuse me, that you would bear fruit in every good work and increase in knowledge of God. The next petition, may you be strengthened. Be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He goes right to the source. He asks for the glorious might of God to strengthen him. You should just sit and marvel for a moment. The glorious might of God. His mighty hand no one can snatch you out of, that delivers you from sin, that continues you through this life. It is glorious, and it is powerful. These two words, power and strength, they come from the same root. Paul's doing a play on words here. He's essentially saying, I want you to be empowered with all power, strengthened with all strength, and it is in the glorious might of God. I go to the source because I know you can do nothing in your own power. I must go to him first because he began this work in you and he will complete it. And he asks for all power. This word comes up a lot in this passage. The saints are to be complete, lacking in nothing. Not just partial power, not just partial fullness, not just partial endurance, but all power and endurance. And what do we need that strength for? Why does he ask for this? Because if our lives were easy, we wouldn't, need to be, we wouldn't need the strength of God. We wouldn't need to continue on. But he knows they're not. So he gives us two terms here that are um, similar, but they're related nuanced meanings. 
He prays for all endurance and probably all patience as well with joy. Let's look at these two words. And these two words commonly go together, endurance and patience. We see them throughout the New Testament. But they can only happen when the gospel bears fruit, when you have faith in Christ, hope and eternal life with your God, and love for all the saints. These are two things that talk about two spheres of human life. Endurance. This word for endurance, it, it, it means to persevere with courage. Uh, Plato actually helped to define this word, and Plato defines the word that Paul uses here as endurance accompanied by wisdom that is noble. This endurance is for difficult life situations. This is for when life does not go as you think it should, when life becomes difficult, that you apply wisdom, you endure through it, and you are noble in the process. Paul chose this word wisely. The second word, patience. This is another term for long-suffering. This is for difficult people. This is to be patient with those who you walk alongside. Chapter 3 gives us a perfect example of how this word is used. Look at verse 12 and 13. As he encourages them, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and blameless, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What does it mean to have patience? What does it mean to have long-suffering, bearing with one another? And... If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Only a God who is long-suffering toward us can grant us long-suffering toward one another. So Paul prays for them to have strength in, in difficult situations and with difficult people. Anyone ever had difficult situations with difficult people? Anyone not had any today? I mean, these are things we certainly need prayer for. Anyone ever cried out, Lord, give me strength with this situation? Lord, give me strength with this person? Because Paul knows where that strength comes from. We ultimately know where that strength comes from. We need endurance in sickness. We need endurance when the doctors have no answer, when the same things plague us over and over again. We need endurance and our financial struggles. It doesn't seem like we can ever get ahead. Endurance, like our brothers and sisters who are facing real persecution, situations where the state will imprison them or their enemies will kill them. They must endure with wisdom and nobility. We also need patience with difficult people. We need patience when our brothers and sisters sin against us. We need patience when our brothers and sisters keep on sinning. We need patience when our brothers and sisters don't want to mature. And it is by the strength of God that we need those things. And this is why Paul petitions for them, because he knows for the growth of those in Colossae, for our own discipleship, we need God's strength for difficult situations. We need God's strength for difficult people. And only by God's power can we endure patiently. And not just endure patiently, but endure joyfully. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face life's various trials. It is God who is refining you and growing you. That is your discipleship. Because when you go through these difficult situations... And you bear with one another and difficult people. 
He refines you through the process. He grows you. He grows your reliance on Him. And then we thank Him for that. Giving thanks in our difficult situation. Giving thanks for difficult people because of what the Lord is doing in us through it. It's exactly what Paul says here. With joy, giving thanks to the Father. How? How can we walk worthy? By His power, giving thanks to Him for what He's done. And again, there's going to be four things here that He has done for us. Four things that are in the past tense that have already been accomplished by Him. What has the Father done? Number one, He has qualified you. This word means to enable, to make sufficient. He has qualified you by His grace to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. To share your portion is now with the Father. A holy God has called you to be His holy ones, the saints. And He has given you an inheritance with Him that will never perish. God has qualified you for that. By the work of His Son, by sending Him to take on your sin and His wrath to give you His righteousness, you are now qualified in Him to share in His inheritance. That is the beauty of the gospel. Thank God for that. How can we grow? How can we be filled? How can we endure? How can we be patient? Because our God who raised Jesus from the dead is powerful enough to bring us into his kingdom, to give us his inheritance, and to give us the strength to persevere. Thank him. Because everything Paul prays for in these previous verses is, is possible because of what he's talking about right now. It is a continuation of what God has done in the saints. And it's interesting, in verse 13, he moves from the second person saying you to the first person saying we. Now, not just pointing to you, I'm bringing us together. We are fellow saints. We have a fellow inheritance. He has delivered us. Paul connects connects himself to his readers. We can thank him because he's delivered us. I know because he's delivered me. How has he qualified you? By what means? Verse 13 informs and, and explains verse 12. Second thing, he has delivered us. This deliverance is something that is accomplished. It is done. It is finished as we sung earlier. It includes a transference of kingdom, a redemption, and a forgiveness. But Paul is not rewriting the wheel here. He's just restating his own testimony. If you look at Acts 26, when Paul is giving his testimony, he's declaring publicly what Jesus told him. He's just rephrasing his words. Everything we say is just a rephrasing the true word. So in Acts 26, he's before Agrippa and tells of his conversion. Jesus stops him on the road to Damascus. Look what he says in verse 15. And who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. That is a fearful conversation right there. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, uh, you have seen me, and to those which I will appear to you, in which I will appear to you. I don't know why I can't read this morning. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Now look at these. He talks about deliverance to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. We're going to look at the darkness to light in the kingdom in just a moment. From the power of Satan to God. This is a kingdom transference, and they will receive. Re- Uh, forgiveness of sins, which we will talk about, 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, an inheritance with the saints. Everything that Paul thanks God for, he learned in the first second of being a Christian. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and explains the gospel and what he's doing to him. And Paul is just repurposing that for the church in Colossae. He has delivered you like he delivered me. He has delivered us. He has transferred us. This is an amazing concept. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Think about this. This kingdom transference. You have taken you from the domain of Satan and brought you into my kingdom of light. I have brought you from darkness into light. I have brought you from a land where you are a slave to death into a land where you will be a son in life. This is the greatest transference that that will ever happen. We are taken from death to light, from darkness into light. You are transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. The son embodies the love of the father. And by trusting in the son, by faith in the son, the son makes sons. This is messianic language in the beloved son. We know this from Jesus' baptism account. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That was the beginning of Jesus' kingdom activities. The Holy Spirit comes on him. His ministry begins. The kingdom of God is in their midst, and he proclaims repentance and forgiveness. This is the kingdom that he proclaims, and those who trust in him are transferred into it. This is the gospel that Paul connects to their discipleship, to their maturity, that the gospel not be separate from their minds and their actions. These are the same themes that we've been going through in Deuteronomy for the past several months. God delivers his people. He transfers them from slavery into freedom. He gives them an inheritance. And those are just the seeds of the gospel. Those are just the seeds of the kingdom of light that we see in Jesus Christ that finds its fullness in his finished work. And by our faith in him, we are transferred into that kingdom. Things that Israelites couldn't even dream of. We have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is in him, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Qualified, delivered, transferred, redeemed. We have. It is in our possession. It is yours in Christ Jesus. It is not something you have to earn. It is not something you have to be filled up by by some worldly mysticism to inherit. It is given to you through Jesus Christ. We have redemption. We possess it because of what Christ has done. He prayed a price. Redemption is a slavery term. It means to redeem, to pay a price to bring a slave from one owner to another. He paid the price so that the dominion of sin, that kingdom of darkness, the domain of darkness, the price was paid to remove us from that and bring us into the kingdom of life. We are redeemed from death to life. And the price was paid by his blood. The most valuable currency the world has ever known. Blood that is powerful enough to forgive all sins, to cleanse and make righteous, and to transfer from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. So he has delivered us from the dominion of sin, but he has also forgiven our sins. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin. We no longer live in sin's kingdom, but we no longer live under sin's penalty. We no longer have to fear paying the price for our sins. 
We no longer have to fear God's wrath because it's been taken on our brother. The beloved Son of God took it on for us. Sin's dominion and sin's penalty are taken on Him. And through this, we thank God. And through this, we can walk in a manner that is pleasing to Him. And live in all knowledge of His will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this inheritance he speaks of, Paul tells us three things. He has given us a shared inheritance. He's given us a new residence. We learn from Paul that we are transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. We have a new residence in the kingdom of light. We have a new station in life. We are free. We have been redeemed. We have a new kingdom and a new station. We are free from the dominion of darkness. And we also have a new standing. We are forgiven. We are blameless in the finished work of Christ. This gospel, as we close up this morning, is the foundation for everything God pet- or Paul petitions God for earlier on. Everything Paul prays for comes out of what God has already done. Everything he goes to God for, he knows he can ask for because the, the work has already been finished. The beginning of this text is the basis, or excuse me, the beginning of this text is based on the end. Just a quick summary. Because God has qualified us, delivered us, redeemed, and forgiven us, we can go to God and ask to be filled with the knowledge of His will and spiritual understanding, spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we may walk in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And in that, we may bear fruit, increase in knowledge, be strengthened by His power, endure patiently in all these things, and joyful thankfulness for what God has done for us. So we think about what we want for our own lives and for those we care for. We think about discipleship. Let us think on these things and pray on these things and pray in accordance with Paul. Let us pray now for this in our lives and others as we pray to grow into the image of Christ. Lord, may we never tire of hearing of the gospel. May we never tire about hearing of your excellencies. Our Heavenly Father, who before time began, put into motion redemptive history that we might be redeemed through His Son, that we might receive His Spirit through faith. In faith, You have renewed us, brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life, that we may walk in hope of our eternal life. We may walk in love with one another, that we may to the praise of your glorious grace, live in a life that is worthy to you. We may be pleasing in everything we do, that we may be edified and you may be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.